0: as we focus on this time in between, one of the challenges that we face as Christians, just as people in general, is to be overly focused on just the here and now, just the present. Now admittedly, even our culture recognizes that the opposite can also be true, that that sometimes we are so focused on the past or the future that we overlook the present, and we can fall into that trap too ruminating or regretting our past so much that we lose sight of the the present. Or longing for a a life that we hold out hope for in the future when everything just falls into place, but a life that always seems to be just out of reach. And, And if we fall into either one of those categories, looking too much to the past, too much to the future... Then we miss out on the, the time that we have right now, the 24 hours of today, in, in today's situation and station and vocation and the people that God has placed in my life today, right here and right now. But it's probably a, a more serious concern that we're overly focused on the here and now and lose sight of the future, especially as Christians. And there are, are three dangers that I want to highlight of, of only focusing, of having a, a tunnel vision in the here and now in this time in between and, and forgetting to take advantage of and look forward to the hope and the glory that is waiting for us in the future. The first danger is that if we are so focused on this world and this time that God has given us here, we may find ourselves not ready for what is to come. Jesus warned about that in a parable that is pretty familiar to most of us, a parable of the the lamp and the oil and the bridesmaids that were waiting for the groom to show up. And some of them had more than enough oil and others figured they've got time, they'll put it off till later. And if we're so focused on the here and the now, then that our our faith and our spiritual growth remains on this perennial to-do list, but never gets done we may find out that the last thing that we were worried about here and now is actually the only thing that matters for eternity. Growing in our faith and and staying connected closely to our Savior Jesus. That's the one danger, not being ready for what is coming in the future. Another danger of of never looking forward to the hope and the glory that is ours at home in heaven is that it, it makes us susceptible to falling into a sense or a feeling of hopelessness in the here and now. If we are only focused in what is right in front of us, we can be like that tiny little fishing boat that is in the middle of a hurricane sea being thrashed about here and there with every care and concern that the world throws our way. And we we hear all of the the news and the headlines of of discouragement and disillusionment and, and it feels like we are about to be swamped. And our situation is homeless. Is my, my financial situation ever going to change? Is, is my chronic health issue, is that ever going to get better or improve? Is this toxic relationship ever going to be reconciled or resolved? Am I ever going to get along with my kids? Is it always going to be this frustrating parenting them or turning it around? Am I going to get along with my, my older parents as i am tasked with caring for them and these things grab so much of our attention here and now and it feels like we are stuck and nothing is ever going to change and as as each thing hits at us it's like another 50 foot wave smacking us until inevitably we feel like we're going to sink that's the second danger of being overly focused on here and now is feeling like it's it's hopeless here and now the third is is probably the most risky danger of, of all, the, the one that we want to guard against the most. And the third danger is if we are so focused on here and now and, and not what is to come, not the future glory, then we end up in our time here on earth being glory chasers. We fall for the same lie that our our parents did, that Satan sows that seed and deceives us into thinking there's plenty of glory to go around here in this earth, here on our time uh, on earth. We just have to seek it out. We just have to find it, as if we're treasure hunters. and, And one day, once we get there, we'll finally be rewarded with the glory that we're seeking. Satan led Adam and Eve to believe there was another level of glory that God was keeping hidden from them. And the key to it was that fruit. That God was just trying to hold them back. Even though they were created in his perfect image, even though the world was flawless, created for them to enjoy and care for it and manage, they believed there was some glory that was theirs that they were missing out. And if they just took a bite of that fruit, they would finally experience that glory. And they did. And the glory that they already had in the image of God crashed to pieces, obliterated. And along with it, the perfect, flawless world that God had created for them. But you say to yourself, well, I'm not, not interested in that kind of glory. I'm, I'm not one who seeks glory for myself. That's not an issue for me. In fact, I'm more inclined to deflect or defer to somebody else and, and let them have the recognition, the glory that maybe they're seeking. So then what is it that, that drives your workaholism? If not just a little bit more money uh, to plan for the future or to have this new insert in the blank, whatever it might be, or, or the promotion or the title or the recognition that comes along with it or the reputation you want others to have of you that you are just such a hard worker, always busting your tail. If that is not for your own self-glory, then what is it for? When you pride yourself in being on time for, for everything, is that really because you are so respectful of other people's time? Or you seek glory in being known as the person who's early or on time. That's your reputation. Or flip that around if you're habitually late, always making excuses. Is it because you value your own time more than others? That you glory in yourself that nobody else's time is, is worth as much as yours is? Why is it that we struggle so much to, to compliment others? Because that means the attention is going to be given to them and, and not on me. And by, by the way, we're much better at pointing out other people's flaws, aren't we? Why is it that it's so difficult for me to admit when I was wrong? Because that, that goes against my glory, my, my pride, the recognition that I want for not being wrong, for being right, for being the one with the right answers. or when you are, are making it a, a point to, to appreciate the, the humility that, that others observe in you, is that because you are genuinely humble or because you glory in that title of being so humble that others assign to you? When you you speak about or we speak about our our kids and and their athletic, their academic, their extracurricular uh, achievements, their diploma from a prestigious university or institution or the the successful job they have as adults and the the great career path that they have chosen, if that is so often the topic of our conversation, is it possible that we are simply glory-seeking through our children? It's it's inherent in us. We picked up right where our first parents left off. Seeking glory, believing this lie that if we just find it, just pursue it, just seek it out a little bit harder, there is a glory this side of heaven that we can secure, that we can find on our own. But it's like a, a mirage, isn't it? It's never there. We we might think we're getting closer to it, but It slips through our fingers and the closer we get to it, it's always off in the distance. Because there is only a glory that Jesus can offer for us. Only a glory that we are depicted in the verses from Revelation. A glory that is secured and assured only through the merits of Jesus Christ and who he is and what he has done. Only in him can we find a genuine and true and eternal glory. Again, the verses, the description from Revelation. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing round the throne and round the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. And now imagine this glorious scene. Any one of the individuals present surrounding that that throne with the lamb at the center saying, wait a minute, whoa, 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 hold on. Listen, I know why we're here and and certainly the lamb deserves some attention, but I kind of feel like we're overlooking a few pretty impressive details of my own life that might be just worthy of a little bit of praise and adoration. Can we give some attention to those? That would be absurd. You would would never imagine that happening in the scene, would you? So why is it that we think that while we're here on earth, we could somehow attain or seek out a glory that is our own? A glory that, that is secured by our own merits or achievements or whatever it might be. When the only glory that anyone deserves is, is that which is rightly ascribed to the lamb at the center of the throne. And what makes his glory so glorious is that his work of redemption and atonement, the work that the Lamb did as the perfect sacrifice in your place and mine, completely covers over all of our own selfish glory seeking. All of our own efforts at making a name or a reputation for ourselves. All of our own efforts at drawing attention to ourselves and seeking some acclaim or recognition temporary in this world as it might be. All of those attempts have been, been covered completely by the lamb at the center of the throne, who is the only one who deserves the praise that he is receiving in this beautiful picture from Revelation. And as you, you consider all the saints that are surrounding them, you can't help but take note of what they're all wearing. They all have the same attire. Verse 13 and 14. Then one of the elders asked me, These in white robes, who are they and where do they come from? I answered, Sir, you know. And he said, These are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. If you've done laundry, you know that's not how it works. You don't scrub out a stain with blood. But Jesus does. He has scrubbed out all of your stains with his blood and washed you and made you pure and cleansed you completely. And that is the robe that everybody in the presence of the Lamb is adorned with. The righteousness that is ours through the merits of Jesus alone. And so you understand why all of of this scene is, is punctuated with praise and adoration directed at the one alone through whom comes salvation. And forgiveness. The one alone who, who gives any of us the, the hope of being in his presence wearing that white robe of righteousness. And as beautiful as that scene is, that we're looking ahead to, that, that future glory that is waiting for us, here's what's neat about that robe of righteousness. You don't have to wait to, to wear it. You actually have that righteousness on right now. God has made you holy, he calls you his, he calls you perfect, he calls you pleasing because of that righteousness of Christ that you are adorned with right now. And that means that as John describes in this vision, the the service that is given by the saints is also not something that we have to wait till we're home in heaven to give to Jesus. He says in verse 15, Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. As a kid, I kind of always had this picture that we're in heaven, it's going to be the equivalent of what we're doing right now, but times 24 hours a day, every day. And I thought, I don't know if I'm all that excited to get home to heaven, if that's what it means. A whole day of church and hymn singing and, admittedly, now I I long for that a little more than I, I did as a child. But But that's not the picture here. As we serve the the king, as we serve the Christ, not only in the future, but we get to serve him right now in that righteousness. Knowing that our thoughts, our attitudes, our works, our efforts, all that we do is pleasing to him through faith in Christ because we are adorned with that righteousness. We don't have to wait till we're home in heaven to serve him. And by the way, that, that also includes the new heaven and earth that is going to restore all things and the joyful service that will fill our eternities that isn't just the praise and worship that we think of in, in, on a Sunday morning. But it's everything that you are and do in gratitude for the righteousness that is yours, for the glory that is yours in Christ Jesus. And as if that wasn't enough to remind us that we have that robe of righteousness now, there's a a little bit more that, that, that God revealed to John and then to us in this vision to encourage us and spur us and remind us, look ahead to what is to come because it far surpasses what is right now. He describes what it will be like when we're there. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat, for the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. We know that as long as we are in this veil of tears, sadness and sorrow will be a part of this world. But what is described to John in this vision given to us is a world where those woes, And those worries are a thing of the past. And as we observe All Saints Day, we are reminded of those loved ones in Christ who are already experiencing that, who have already been called home, who are already a part of this glorious vision that John has in the presence of the Lamb because we know that they fell asleep in Jesus with the same faith that we cling to, the same assurance of a glory not to be sought out here and now, but a future glory an assured glory, a guaranteed glory that is ours in Christ Jesus. And so for the time being, in the here and now, dear friends, because we know of the future glory that is ours, we also know that our time here on earth is our opportunity to be God's glory bearers to the world. With that confidence, may you joyfully enjoy the the privilege of serving him now adorned in that robe of righteousness that is yours as you hold out the hope, the eagerness, the zeal to be home and fully appreciate the glory that waits you in the future. May God grant it by his grace. Amen.